what's interesting what I found about that is the people that are lost don't always know that they're lost but he's still looking for them. He's out there searching for them. Now, let me say this thing. When God, when God says he's looking for somebody, it's not like he can't find them. He knows where everybody is. Y'all know that by now. You know, when when uh, Adam was over there talking, he said, well, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was at. Adam didn't know where he was at. And the same thing happens today. He's looking for people who think they're not lost, but they are lost. You're now in tune to the Heaven Bound Broadcast with Pastor Richard D. Dobbs of Overcomers Christian Center in Villarica, Georgia. Now prepare to be empowered and equipped with the rich word of God. A couple weeks ago, we spent time learning about what I would consider Jesus' ministry, his motivation, as well as his method of ministering. And the message entitled, Move with Compassion. We found that, of course, came from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and verse 36, the previous verses for our main scripture today. I want, of course, you can go back to the podcast and listen to that message in its entirety. I want to spend a few minutes back in this text to refresh our memory on Jesus' ministry, his motivation, as well as his method. And I believe it will help us, help us to connect to today's message. So, so first of all, let me read to you Matthew 9, 35 and verse 36. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. As mentioned that Jesus has... Uh, a method. Now, of course, we know he has many methods. You can't just lock Jesus down into one method. But I want to look at what I believe is what I consider his ministry, his method, as well as his motivation. First of all, according to Matthew 9 and 35, he knows what he did. He he was going about all the cities and the villages. Not only was he going, he was teaching in the synagogues. He was preaching the gospel, and he was healing every sickness and every disease. So notice Jesus was going about. He was being led around to cities and villages in that particular area. And while he was going, he was teaching. He was imparting instruction as well as instilling doctrine in their synagogue. The synagogues would be the place where they assembled together, kind of like we assemble together in a church today. And Jesus, not only teaching the synagogues, he was preaching the gospel. He was proclaiming the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then signs followed him because he was healing every sickness. He was helping people to get back to complete health. He was curing every sickness and disease that he came across. And that's kind of powerful to me because, you know, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever more. See, Jesus is still healing every sickness and every disease today. Even in 2022, he's healing every sickness. He's healing every disease. In 2023, he'll be healing every sickness and every disease. He'll still be preaching the gospel. He'll still be teaching and stealing doctrine into people all over the world. But he had a motivation. Matthew 9 and 36 gives us his motivation. But when he saw the multitudes, he saw the multitudes. When he, when he paid attention or he noticed or he perceived the multitudes. Remember the multitudes he was healing, the multitudes he was preaching to, the multitude he was healing. He came to this conclusion. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And notice this, they were weary, they grew weak, they were faint, and they were tired out. Even after Jesus was preaching, even after Jesus was teaching, he said they were weary and they were scattered. They were thrown and cast away like sheep having no shepherd, no pastor, no overseer. We see that Jesus was teaching, preaching, and healing, but he makes an observation that his sheep, the ones that he 
was healing, the ones that he was teaching, the ones that he was ministering to, they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. See, the comparison the text suggests that God's congregation needs a pastor who will feed them with knowledge and understanding. So we see also his method, which brings us to his method. They were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So we see in Jeremiah 3 and 15, let's go there real quickly. Jeremiah 3 and 15, this is his method. You know, God does not acknowledge a problem without an answer to the problem. And so he says this in Jeremiah 3 and 15, I will give you shepherds according to my heart. I will give you shepherds. I will give you pastors and teachers according to my heart. Notice not my, not an individual's heart, but to God's heart himself. See, he makes a promise to us. In fact, he knows that the benefits and promise will come according to his heart or his way of thinking about things. And see, the heart of God is that for God's people to have a shepherd. In fact, we see the heart of God in a couple of scriptures I want to bring to your attention. First of all, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Let's go there real quickly. Luke 19 and verse 10 reads as follows. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So you see here the heart of God is for he came to see. He came to look for. He, who are we looking for? Those who are lost. And what's interesting what I found about that is the people that are lost don't always know that they're lost. But he's still looking for them. He's out there searching for them. Now, let me say this. When God says he's looking for somebody, it's not like he can't find them. He knows where everybody is. Y'all know that by now. You know, when, when uh, Adam was over there, talk, he said, well, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was at. Adam didn't know where he was at. And the same thing happens today. He's looking for people who think they're not lost, but they are lost. Are y'all seeing the difference there? Because God knows where everybody is. Don't never think when God asks a question, he's not looking for an answer. It's for us to be enlightened to what we are dealing with in our own personal lives. And so he says these people need to be saved, need to be delivered. They need to be protected, and they need to prosper in the things that God has called for them to do. Now, let's look at the other scripture, Luke 4 and 18. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. Let's go there. Luke 4 and 18. And the Bible reads as follows. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, he, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And I'm going to read verse 19, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So I want you to notice that the spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus, still is upon him because he has anointed him. He has consecrated him and empowered him to do what? To preach the gospel. He has sent him, me to heal the brokenhearted. And Jesus is still preaching the gospel and he's still healing the brokenhearted. Now, you must understand that when, if he's healing broken hearts, that means there are broken hearts out there for him to heal. And so we never want to underestimate that there's somebody out there that God wants to heal. He wants to heal them. And it says this, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So you see the heart of God. You see the heart of God. He wants to help his people. And he wants to help people who may not necessarily know that they need help. Because I was one of those individuals who didn't know, thought I had it all together, but Jesus said, you need help. What do you mean, God, I need help? I'm all right the way I am. You know, I got, I got a girlfriend or two, you know, she cute and everything like that. I got two dollars in my pocket. You know I'm all right, God. Oh, no, you see, you think you got something, but you really ain't got nothing if you ain't got me. 
And so God began to show me in his word how much I needed him. And that's what he still does today. He shows us today how much he needs us. And how did he do that? How does he do that? Jeremiah 3 and 15. He will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Notice what God's going to do in Jeremiah 13. I'm going to give you shepherds, according to my heart, who are going to feed you teach you and guide you and lead you and govern you but with what knowledge knowledge you, we need knowledge we need facts we need information we need skills and we need godly experience we need the godly skills we need the godly understanding that God has for his people and not only that we need understanding we need understanding. We need insight. We need wisdom. And that which causes us to prosper. And I like this about God because we need godly knowledge and godly understanding. Because you can understand a lot of different things, but it may not be godly. And so we need godly knowledge and godly understanding. And as God's shepherd, his pastor and teacher, I must commit to feeding his people with knowledge and understanding. And feeding has to do, I need to teach, I need to guide, I need to lead and how to govern and so forth. And let me say this, as, as you read that definition, it's an ongoing process. And, and just like you're becoming a better sheep, I'm, I'm trying to become a better pastor. And we're all working on this thing together. You're a better sheep. I'm a better pastor. We're going to be better as we go forth in the things of God. How many agree we're going to be better as we go forth in the things of God? Amen. That's right. That's right. As he, as he adds to the church, I must continue to empower and equip and feed and lead his sheep. So let's look at a few takeaways real quickly. I need to ensure that OCC ministry re reflects and resembles Jesus' ministry, going from place to place, teaching and preaching with miracles, signs, and wonders. Two, I need to continue to pray fast and yield my will to Jesus so that he, so in turn he can feed his sheep with knowledge and understanding. And finally, I have compassion with like Jesus to, to, so, so I see people that need help. I need see people I see people that need relief, and I offer them the one who can relieve them. Whether it's mentally, emotionally, financially, or physically, those in distress, those in misery, those dealing with adversity, and some of the unpleasant things that come with life. Because we know life is something else. Are y'all living long enough? Are y'all, hallelujah, because you, life is real. 34, 19. Let's go to Psalms 34 and 19. We need to understand that God has a plan for us to be relieved from the, the things that come up in our lives. Psalms 34 and 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Isn't it good to know that God will deliver you out of every last one of them? There's not one that God is going to leave in. Anything that tries to bring misery or distress or something that is hurtful or unpleasant or at, at verse, God got a plan to get you out. God has a plan to get you out. Let me say this to you. He's working on the plan right now. He's working on the plan right now. How you know, Pastor? Because we're faith walkers. We walk by faith and not by sight. If you're dealing with debt, God's got a plan to get you out of debt. If, you got, if you're dealing with pain in your body, God has a plan to release the pain out of your body. If you're going through something in your mind, God got a plan to get you free in your mind. He's got a plan. He's got a plan to do it. Because he says, many are the afflictions, the miseries of the righteous people, those who are justified by God. But the Lord is going to deliver. He's going to rescue or recover him out of them all. If I'm not out, I'm trusting God's plan to get me out. If I'm not out, I'm trusting God's plan to get me out. How many have ever had trusted plan and God's plan work for you? It worked for you. How many it worked for you? I mean, you, you let me say this to you. Y'all know right now that God's plan is not your plan, right? And that God's plan is much better than your plan. But how many know that God's plan don't always feel good? Don't always go the way you think it should, but God's plan works. It works every time. And I realize that his plan is much better than my plan. <laughs> Glory. So my focus for today's message is for us to gain a greater insight in Matthew 9 
37, verse 38. I want us to look at this and see what is our area of concentration, what should we get clarity in in this particular text. So let's read, my, excuse me, follow me as I read Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and verse 38. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Think about this for a moment now. We read earlier, Jesus is going around. He's healing. He's teaching. He's preaching. And he sees all the different people that are out there. He sees them. I mean, can you imagine going around from Villarica to Carrollton to uh, Hiram to Dallas to Douglasville to Noonan to Griffin to Roberta to Thomaston to Thomasville to Alabama to Florida to wherever you go and you're healing people. I mean, you're healing. God's using you to heal folks. He's God. He's using you to pray for folks. He's using you to do great things. You're teaching. You're preaching. But after you finish preaching, you look back. You look back and you say these these sheep, they need a pastor. They need, they need help. They need somebody to help them. And so he says this. He says, and he said to his disciples, his followers, actually, the ones who are going to be carrying out his assignment. He's speaking to the ones who are going to be carrying out what he has commissioned, not only for his disciples to do, but for all of us in the sanctuary his disciples, his followers. He says the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, into his harvest. See, his harvest, harvest time is a time of reaping and gathering. And from a biblical perspective, it's a time of gathering souls into the kingdom of God. Gathering men into the kingdom of God. Gathering women into the kingdom of God. Gathering young boys into the kingdom of God. Young men into the kingdom of God. Gathering families into the kingdom of God. Gathering co-workers into the kingdom of God. Gathering family members into the kingdom of God. Gathering singles, those that are married, those that are single, those that are children, those single mothers, those got problems with drugs, those got problems with what they think and talking at, those that are the harvest. He says, I see them and they need to be gathered. I, I see your family members that some you ate with this past week, some you talked to, they need to be gathered. I see who needs to be gathered. And he says this, he says, says I see them and they need to be coming to my kingdom. We, they're coming to my kingdom. He said, I need, I see them. I, I need for you to connect with them. I need for you to learn. I need for you to teach them just like I did when I was on the earth. And notice what he says. He said it to his disciples. See, if you're a disciple, not just a church member, but a disciple, you're going to learn from Jesus. You're going to grow in Jesus. You're going to develop in Jesus. You're going to follow the master teacher, that being Jesus, and you're going to follow his example. You're going to say, Jesus, you know, you went out and you were teaching, you were preaching, and then you were doing, uh, you, you, people around you were getting healed. And I know you're still the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And I, I don't have the power to heal nobody. So if God, if you heal this person, powerful. But you say they still need somebody. They need a shepherd because they're like sheep that are scattered. And so he says to his disciples, the ones who are his followers, his learners, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. So notice that Jesus describes two groups of people in Matthew 9 and 37. First of all, he says the harvest is plentiful. Those men and women and boys and girls and co-workers and family members and those you don't know, strangers, they are plentiful. They, that's a lot of them. There's, there's so many of them out there. 
So notice this. You think about this. Jesus been ministering to the multitudes, teaching, preaching, and healing. Then he tells his disciples, his followers, that the harvest is plentiful. And I believe Jesus is still doing the same thing today. He's still ministering to folks. There's some people right now that don't go to church will tell you, I got a relationship with God. I've heard people tell me, well, you know God healed my body. I, you know God did this for me. And they ain't been to church in years. 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 And so when they tell you that, you think, oh, this is what Jesus was doing. He's still ministering. But yet, what did he tell them? They need a shepherd. They need a shepherd. And so he's looking at the harvest is plentiful. He, he's like, hey, there's people that, that need to be a part of my kingdom. There's men and women and boys and girls that are ready to come and be a part of my kingdom. There's students out there that need to be a part of my kingdom. There are pe people in the business world that need to be a part of my kingdom. There are people that go to nightclubs and need to be a part of my kingdom. There are people everywhere that need to be a part of his kingdom. But he said, I got a problem. I got a labor shortage. Laborers are what? Few. First of all, before I deal with the few, let me say this to you. Thank God for the few that are out there ministering. There are few. And I say, Lord, help our church to be the few. Oh, y'all missed that thing. You got to get that. See, we don't want to be in a situation where we're looking at the problem and then we look and we're part of the problem. We want to be a situation where if he says the labors are few, let us be a part of the few. Until we do be a part of the solution and not just a part of the problem. He says the labors are few. There are some people out there. There are some workmen. There are some people that are gathering in or doing their part to gather in the harvest. But he said to his disciples and his learners, he let them know that there's a labor shortage I have a challenge finding workers. He's saying the labor shortage of workers who will commit to going out and gathering men and women into the kingdom. And he told the disciples that those who work on his harvest are but a few. A small number. Those that are gathering and bringing them to the kingdom of God. And I, I, I got a few willing workers. I got a few. And I said, Lord, help us to be those few willing workers that you talked about. I don't want to be talking about everybody else and I'm not doing my part. I don't want to talk about person A or person B and here I am sitting on the sideline doing nothing instead of talking about the problem. I want to be a part of a church and a body of movement and, and people like us who are doing something about the harvest that God is talking about. I want to be a part of those few. And because one of the things I looked at, because he says the labors are few, pray, pray. I, I thought about this. Why is God telling me about his harvest? And it's only a few and they need to be gathered. One of the things I thought about was this. If nobody gathers the harvest, it's going to go bad. It's going to go bad. I don't want people or individuals to go bad because I'm not out there gathering what I can gather. And I can't let the work overwhelm me and talk about, well, I just, I'm not going to get none when I could have got some. And our job is to do our part in gathering the harvest. So he says, listen, there's some things that we need to do. He gives them some instructions. He says, this is what I need for you to do. I need for you to pray. Pray. Verse 38. Therefore, pray. Pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So notice the God's instructions. Notice his plan of action that he gave to his disciples. Not only to his disciples, but he gives to us today. He says, pray. Have a conversation with me to get me involved. Have a conversation with me to get me involved. I want to be involved with gathering or the plan or what you're going to execute for gathering the harvest. I want to be involved. I want to be involved. So you got to pray. Pray that I do what? I send out laborers into his harvest. I want to compel 
I need you to pray that I get involved and I get people compelled to go out and gather in this harvest. Because I don't want the harvest to go bad. I don't want good souls to miss out on the kingdom of God. Because you know what? Somebody prayed and I made it in. So I got to do my part to help others to get in to the kingdom of God. And so he tells them to pray. He's compelling them. He, he says, let me compel because compel may, may sometimes get confrontational. Why? Because you're telling people to do something they're not doing. There's, there's a harvest out there. And compel means I'm stirring them up to change the way they think and talk and conduct their lives concerning the harvest. So in turn, they're not just there looking at it, but they want the harvest to be gathered in. And I know there's many of us in the sanctuary. We don't want to see the harvest go bad. We want to see souls coming to the kingdom of God. Just like God did it for us, we want to see God do it for somebody else. Because you don't want nobody. I don't want nobody. I don't want nobody to go bad. I, listen, Jesus and, and the Lord in the word of God always talks about how that it's imperative that I died for people just like us. He died for people, died for people just like us. And he wants to see us saved. He wants to see us delivered. He wants to see people delivered. He wants to see people protected. And he wants to see them prosper. Remember his heart we talked about a little bit earlier. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Well, you know, once they're found, somebody got to minister to them. Somebody. And the thing I thought about when I was looking at this text, I said, God, if it's only a few people working and you got this large harvest, there's work to be done. There's work to be done. I don't need an invitation because it's always saying, I need to pray. One thing I need to do is pray. I need to pray. Did you get involved, God? I need to pray. You get involved. God, I need you to get involved. Because listen, there are too many people out there for me trying to figure this out on my own. There are too many souls. They got too many issues going on for me to try to give them my wisdom. I need your guidance, God. I need for what, what to say, when to say it, how to say it. I need to know what plan of action I need to put into place in order for it to work. I don't need to be out there, just out there in the midst of the harvest, just doing this, that, and the other. I need to be effective in what I'm doing. And so God gives us a plan in order for the harvest to work. So as Lady Dobbs and I, myself and others, have been praying and fasting for our church, the question is, Lord, what is it that you have for us to do here at OCC in order to be effective, in order to uh, implement an effective strategy for gathering souls for the kingdom? What do you want us to do? Because you said, not, not what I think. See, one thing about this, they couldn't tell Jesus he didn't know what he was talking about. They couldn't tell Jesus, hey, uh, ain't no souls out there. He'd been ministering. He had been ministering. He, he said, hey, I've been ministering out here. I've been out there. I've been teaching. I've been preaching. I've been healing. And I see they're like sheep with no shepherd. I see this. So I need for you disciples to do something. I need for you to pray. I need for you to pray. I need for you to pray. I need for you to pray that I send forth what? Labors. I don't need folks on the sideline. I need labors. What's interesting about this, and now you got to think about this from more than just the standpoint of when Jesus saw this particular, uh, made mention of this particular statement. I'm looking at not just in that time of period, but I'm looking at it as how it relates to us today. There are many churches that are out there. Many. So how does it say there's just a few? Think about it. So he says a few. There's, there's some people out there not doing nothing. We can't get mad at them and talk about, well, they ain't doing, we ain't going to do nothing. No. We have to be a person or a church that's proactive in doing what God called for us to do. We got to do what God called for us to do. I can't get caught up in what other people are not doing. 
You ever been working sometime, work with somebody, and you looked around, and we got the same job? Aren't we supposed to be doing, and we got the same job description? Why is it that they're doing this, and here I am over here doing that, and we're supposed to be doing the same thing, but yet, it seemed like my effort, I got more work than they got. We're supposed to be getting paid the same thing, but yet, you can't get caught up in that. Because, boy, you'll be uncaught, you'll be uncaught to attitude. Attitude, boy, you're, oh, I know. But see, you can't get caught up in that. What other people are doing or not doing. What has God called for us to do as a body of believers? Amen? All right, let's go a little further. So you know how we speak each Sunday to empower the body of Christ, to fulfill their God-given vision, and to equip the body of Christ to become self-sufficient as was done in the early church according to Acts chapter 4 and verse 34. You know that's more than just a saying, right? That is a statement of ministry. A statement of ministry. So we're saying, Lord, we need for you to equip us. We need for you to supply to us what's necessary to fulfill your purpose spiritually, financially, emotionally, in every aspect of our lives. See, one thing I know about God, he's been doing this for years. He has been moving in our lives so in turn we can be effective for our community. But he's not going to stop there because he wants us to even be more effective for our community. More effective for the souls that are out there. More effective for our, even our local church. Even our local church. He wants us to be in the position that we're ministering just like he did. And we're going to have my desire as a pastor of this great church is that we individually and collectively have the testimony like Abraham. In Genesis 14 and verse 23, Genesis 14 and 23 reads as follows. I would take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I would not take anything that is yours. Lest you say I have made Abram rich or wealthy. One thing we can say God been keeping us for 20 some years. God been keeping us. You can't say, well, if because of this, that and the other, God can use this, that and the other. But the ultimate source is God. You know the reason that you're blessed right now? Because of God. Is it because of God? You know right now the reason that you are in the position that you are, healthy, wealthy, and wise, is because of God himself. Can't no man take credit for God, what God doing in your life. The reason you promote it because of God. The reason you got a roof over your head because of God. The reason you think you're right because of God. The reason you made it through this pandemic is because of God. So don't you ever let the enemy try to persuade you otherwise. Sometimes people get mad because they can't take credit for how blessed you are. But that's all right, though. That is all right. So as a ministry, our goal is to reflect, to resemble, and operate as the early church did in the book of Acts. We want to do it just like Jesus did it. Or as close as possible we can. So let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 46 through 47 in my last section of this particular message. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 through 47. Remember, as we go through this, as we go through this, we want to be more effective. Jesus said, I'm praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. So when he prays, he praying, not just, hold, we just ain't praying that he's sending out laborers and we don't do nothing. We say, hey, all right, y'all, I prayed now. I ain't got to do nothing. No, that ain't what God's saying. He said, you pray, but yet there's something we need to do. Everybody understand? Because we got to be, listen, again, we want to be part of the few. I don't want to be talking about those who are not doing it. I want to be part of the few. Now, what is the few going to be doing? Acts 2, 46 through 47. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I believe that the early church had traits that would teach us and show us how to labor with God's people once we, as we're bringing them in and once we bring them in. So notice that we're going to talk about seven character traits of the early church. The first one, trait number one continually, daily, with one accord, in the temple. 
continuing daily with one accord in the temple. So when they continued, they were devoted to God. They were steadfast in their devotion to God because they continued. They didn't faint. They didn't get weary. Remember one of the things Jesus talked about, they were weary. But when you're continuing, you're not getting weary. You're strengthened so you're no longer, no longer weary, no longer scattered. No longer scattered in your mind or in your thinking, but you're thinking like God wants you to think. With one accord, one mind, one passion in the temple or in the gathering place of God. You see, as we continue to grow and mature in our devotion to God, I believe we're better able to remain as one. See, maturity helps you to mature and grow and to walk together and talk together as one. How can two walk together unless they are agreed? It is the oneness that comes from that. And see, our purpose and ministry work would align with his purpose and his ministry work, seeking and saving the lost, just like we read over in the book of Luke 19, verse 10. I hope that's right. Let me glance real quickly. Luke 19 and verse 10. Is that right? Somebody say yes. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Because we want to make sure we're on one accord with what Jesus wants. How do we learn that? We learn that by gathering, coming together and being on one accord and seeing we want to have the same purpose that Jesus had. We want to see soul saved. Want to see soul saved. Want to see soul saved. But we learn that by gathering in the temple. By the preaching and teaching of the word of God. We're bringing God's harvest into his kingdom. Trait number two, breaking bread from house to house. Breaking bread. Bread is a simple word. Simple means food. Food from house to house or substance from house to house. The early church went from house to house breaking bread. Just as what... As this says, food has a way of relaxing us and bringing a welcome atmosphere to us, so it does for others as well. Breaking bread together over a meal shows us how to fellowship and get to know one another. I tell you, breaking bread, and let's face it, it's hard to get mad when you're eating good food. Thank you all for the four-way man. At least it is for me. I could be upset with you, but boy, you give me a good apple pie. Woo. Okay, all right, all right. I forgive you. <laughs> It's hard to get mad when you're eating good food. Hard to get mad with folks. Hard to be upset with folks when we're eating good. And it's a way for us to get to know one another. And, and while sharing what we enjoy, both enjoy food. I don't know if one person don't like to eat. You know anybody, you let me know. But most people I know, they like to eat. And so we eat good food together, breaking bread from house to house. That's trait number two. Trait number three. They ate their food with glad. They had joy. You know, one thing I've learned about gladness and eating, breaking bread from house to house, it's a choice you make. It's a choice to be happy. Now, you can be mad and eat, but I just choose, it's hard for me to be mad. I just choose to be happy. You know, to me, I don't know about you, but I just enjoy my food a whole lot better when I'm happy. I enjoy my food a whole lot better when I'm not worried, not fretting. Now, I, okay, I'll be honest. Can I be honest with y'all right here? I have been in a situation I've ate the food, can hardly taste it because I was thinking about something else. Had my mind so fixated on something else, I, I missed a good meal even though I ate it. What do you mean? You ate the food and you didn't enjoy it? Yes. Which is sad. I missed some good food, y'all. Because I, I was so busy, so fixated with something else, I didn't do what the Bible says. They ate their food with gladness or with joy. But you know what? I have been in a situation this past Thursday, I had a lot of joy going on. <laughs> you probably tell by my plate and the way I finished it. It had a lot of joy going on. And that joy helped me to consume that food with gladness. Are y'all seeing the difference there? And that's what we want to be. Not just because of what I said, but because this is what the word says. This is what the word says. So I want to make sure, and when we do this with other, other people, this is a way of winning them into the kingdom of God. Now, if you don't want to, if you don't think you don't trust your cooking, go to a place they got good food and order the food. So in turn, y'all can both have joy together. 
And you ain't got to spend a whole bunch of, bunch of money. It don't really take a whole lot. You can find some good food that is not that expensive. I know it's too practical for y'all. I know it. I know it. Just, but I want you to understand that. Sometimes we think, well, I got to have this five-course meal. Sometimes the bill can make you just want to <laughs> not enjoy it. So you have to make sure that you're enjoying every aspect of the meal. They ate their food with gladness. They ate their food with gladness. And let me say this to you. At times we have to work on having an invite and joyful demeanor when it comes to God's house, though. When it comes to the food. We should be a natural mindset at times. If not, but the early church worked at getting their joyful atmosphere. Food was used to help set the tone. And you see that here in this particular verse. Trait number four, simplicity of heart. Simplicity of heart. Being simplistic, being easy to understand, not complicated. You know that God is not the author of confusion. When we try to get so deep, we make it too complicated, it's hard for people to grab a hold of. One of the things I have to constantly pray for is make the word easy to understand. Easy to understand. It, it may start out complicated to me, but by the time I come and feed you with knowledge and understanding, I have to break it down to a point that everybody in the sanctuary can understand it. Everybody in the sanctuary can understand it. I can't stay. Man, you can read some books in the Bible. You can go into the prophecies of Daniel, and they can't look complicated. But by the time you break it down and get you a good concordance and go for it, it should be saying, oh, that, ain't, that wasn't as, most, as difficult as what I thought it was. Why? Easy to understand. God makes it easy for his people to understand. Easy for us to understand. And we have to remember to keep things simple. Simple. The early church was known for the character trait of keeping simplicity of heart. Not only should the early church be known for that, we should be known for that as well. Simplicity of heart. We have to work on making salvation not so complicated. Sometimes by the time you hear some people's explanation of being saved, you wonder if you're saved or not. And you've been saved for years. Where in the world did all this come from? Because God didn't put that all in there. We have to keep it where it is, what the Bible says. Are y'all seeing what we're saying so far? The Holy Spirit brings insight and clarity, not complication. That's one thing the Holy Spirit is going to do. He's going to break it down for you. He's going to break it down, as they just say, in your hometown. To the ground in your hometown. He's going to break it down for you. You understand it. You're like, okay, that's what. And one thing I, I, I appreciate about God, even though I may teach y'all, the Holy Spirit is teaching through me to y'all, and he's breaking stuff down to you so you can understand it. Right now, you're saying, okay, that's what he's talking about, simplicity of heart. Y'all said, eat the food with gladness. And so what Pastor Dobbs say? He go down, he, he ate his Thanksgiving food, he was happy about it. That's, to me, easy to understand. And so we need to make sure that we break it down so it's easy to understand. Simplicity of heart. Number five, trait number five, praising God. Praising God. Praising God. Honoring God. Lifting God up. This one trait they had, they were praising God. And one thing we need to be as a church, we praise God. We praise God, not just on Sundays, but our lifestyle says we praise him. It's our ministry that we lift up Jesus. It says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. My lifestyle lifts him up. Somebody around your unsaved family ought to know you, were, you ain't the same person you were last year. You have been touched by God. If you go around your unsaved family members and they still can't tell the difference between you after two or three times, what's wrong? They should be able to see the difference in you because of your lifestyle that you live for Jesus. You're praising God. You're honoring God. And honoring God is not just in my hallelujah, even though that's part of it. It's also in the way that I live. Your, your hallelujah is a whole lot better when you can live it when you go down into the stores, family functions, and so forth. Your hallelujah is shouting in their situation. It's shouting because of what God is doing in your life. 
Trait number six, having favor with all the people. Notice what God does. Having favor with all the people. Favor is God's loving kindness, God's goodwill, and God's divine grace with all the people. All the people. The Lord can turn the heart of the king any which way he can. He can turn it. He can turn it to give you favor. He can turn it to give you uh, an edge. He can turn it so people look at you. An application you think wasn't going to make it, God can give you favor with the application. All because you're doing what is God. What's in God. Some people don't understand why, how you get the way you got they don't understand why you drive the way you drive, and they don't understand why you do the way you do. It's because of God's favor in your life. But you know what you did, though? You did the other part. You were praising God. You kept the word simple. You did what God told for you to do, and now you're seeing God's prosperity all over your life. And you can't get mad with somebody, well, I don't deserve it. No, God gave it to you because of the life of who he is, I should say. Your, his favor on your life is because of who he is. And what he's doing in your life. God's favor is working for your good. Because you love God and called according to his purpose. You know that sometimes you go into places and you do things, you get certain things. You all say, well, this wasn't me. This was not me. Oh, I got 85% off. That wasn't me. They, they, listen, they charged the person in front of you full price, came to you, gave you a discount. That wasn't you. That was God. That was God doing it. That was God. He's still doing the same thing today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The same God that worked in the early church is working in 2022. He's working, going to work in 2023 just like he worked in 2021, 2020, 2019, and so forth. God has given you favor with his people. Favor. Godly favor. Godly favor. Godly favor. The church has favor People have favor and so forth. And trait number seven, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Notice what the Lord did. He joined them together. Think about this, the harvest that's out there. And we out there working it just like Acts 2, 46 and 47. And now God started adding. And you're like, well, because of, no, because he's fulfilling his word. He is adding, he is joining people because there's some people out there that need Jesus. Not because I said it, but because he said it. And the labors are few. We're praying, Lord, I want you to get involved. I want you to compel those to go out and be labors for your harvest. It's your harvest. Because he's the Lord of the harvest. Remember, he's asking us to go into his harvest. It's not my harvest. It's not OCC's harvest. It is God's harvest. God's harvest. And so he's asking us to go in God's harvest. When we go out there in God's harvest and we're praying, and not only that work, we're working according to Acts 2, 46 and 47. For example, we're, we're eating meals together. We're, we're on one accord with the word of God. We are have simplicity of heart. We're, we're doing what the word has instructed us to do. And the Lord is adding to the church daily. Not just monthly, but what? Daily. That means on Monday, he added daily. On Tuesday, he added daily. On Wednesday, he added daily. Those who are being saved, those who are being delivered, those that are operating in divine protection, those that were prospering, those that are being healed, those who are being rescued from danger. And there's a lot of people that need rescuing from danger. And some people don't even know, realize they need rescuing from danger. You know the children sometimes they come up and they don't even know they need rescuing from danger. They'll be playing around with, a, with something sharp at, a, at an outlet, and you got to rescue them. There's sometimes you, as adults, we as adults, we need rescuing. Thank y'all for the five amens. I admit, God been rescuing me for 58 years now. No, and I, I pray he don't stop, because Dobbs get in trouble sometimes, y'all. Notice I said Dobbs. You can call me pastor, whatever. But Dobbs get in trouble, he need rescuing. 
He needs divine rescuing. And so I pray that God rescues not only me, but all of us. So it don't just stop because you give your life to Jesus. He is still rescuing us. He rescued you when you're at work. You don't even know you're being rescued. Tell y'all the story that time the perfect person tried to fire me. I didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. They told me later, uh, this person wants you fired. I said, really? But I was still working after that situation. No. I, I, listen, I can't take no credit. I was shocked when they said it. <laughs> but God had my back. You ain't live long enough to God has your back. He has your back. How many know God got your back? I see enough hand raised there. You know God got your back. Let me see. Let me see. Oh, I see some people here. You, you need to know God got your back. God got your back. If you think you got your own, then you got another thing coming. Let me finish real quickly. And the Lord adds to church daily those who be in shape, being saved. Notice the promise of increased productivity and in souls to his church daily. Not a one-time event. People will be delivered daily. People will be rescued daily. People are being restored daily. People will be divinely protected daily. People were prospering daily. Woo! We have a pattern, an example, and a guide to follow. We see all the way from Matthew chapter 9 all the way here to Acts chapter 2, verse 46 through 47, how God is ministering to his people. We must grow in our commitment to being laborers, workers, for the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And one thing I want to leave with you for you to think about, I don't want the harvest to go bad on my watch. I don't want the harvest to go bad on my watch because I could have did something but I was just too in myself to do anything about it I was too caught up in stuff that didn't matter to watch out for the souls that need Jesus Amen We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's message We'd love to hear from you Please send your prayer request and testimonies to our website at OCCVR.org. That's OCCVR.org. We would like to invite you to partner with us as we share the gospel all around the world. Just go to our website at OCCVR.org. Click on the Give button to give online, or you can utilize text to give text GIVE to the number 770-692-2225. That's 770-692-2225. Join us on our YouTube channel, subscribe to our podcast, and connect with us on social media. We also invite you to join us in a live service. We're located at 3097 South Van Wert Road in Villarica, Georgia. Visit our website for more details at OCCVR.org. Until next time, remember, without a vision, the people perish. See you next time for more Heaven Bound with Pastor Richard D. Dobbs of Overcomers Christian Center in Villarica, Georgia.